Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am your host, Stephen Igo, and the 2022 ECU football season has officially come to an end. The Pirates emerge victorious in the Birmingham Bowl, 53-29 to wrap up the season, their first bowl win in nine years, dating back to the 2013 Beef O'Brady's Bowl and also the first eight-win season since the 2014 campaign when Shane Carden was the quarterback, when Lincoln Riley was the OC, when Ruff McNeil was the head coach. So a lot to be excited about in Birmingham. And just going to do a quick podcast recapping the game. We will talk about the latest news as a couple of Pirate players. A couple of uh, significant Pirate players have entered the transfer portal since the conclusion of the season, with the most significant being safety Jaira Wilson. We'll talk about that. Why he's in the portal, uh, much more. If we have any other breaking news during this podcast, I'll get to that as well. Uh, Dontavius Nass, the four, former four-star recruit from North Carolina, he has committed to East Carolina as a transfer. So, hey, this the age of the transfer portal. You get one, you lose one, and it's going to be like that uh, for quite some time. So get used to it. But as we before we dive into that, we're going to talk about the bowl game and then this weekend at some point we will have a 2022 wrap-up podcast and I sent out a message on Twitter to share your favorite memory or what you will remember most about the 2022 campaign. I'm going to share some of those replies, the best replies on uh, on social media, on our podcast. I got about 70, 75 replies. I was honestly expecting around 15 the 20s. So I appreciate you guys for all the uh, responses. Some good, some bad, some hilarious. So we'll get to all that sometime this weekend. Of course, the basketball team losing a tough one on Wednesday night to Temple. 59-57 as they drop to 9-5 on the season. They fall to 0-1 in conference play and just kind of a missed opportunity there 
as the Pirates hold a Temple team without star player Damian Dunn, the former Kinston product, was not playing in the game. You hold them to under 60 in your own building, you just you kind of have to find a way to win that game. And 15 missed free throws, 27% shooting performance from the floor, just a disappointing not, night not to finish that one out. And the, the Americans a gauntlet. You have to win games when you have the chance to win them, uh, especially at home. Now you got to go to Wichita, then you come home to face UCF, then you got to go on the road to face Memphis and Cincinnati. And the losses can pile up when you quick. If you're East Carolina, if you're not careful, so uh, that you know this isn't a game they can't win this weekend in Wichita, but it's also a place they've never won, and so critical for the Pirates to to try and bounce back. And it's a young team. I don't want to get you know too far into basketball and get away from the bowl wrap up, but just wanted to share some thoughts here. You know, it's a young team. First time going through the American, it's a grown man's league, and. Even though Temple was without some key players, they are still extremely talented. This is a program and a team that beat number 16 Villanova earlier in the season. They beat Rutgers. They've been up and down, but still, uh, I think the Pirates were a few guys were maybe not quite ready last night for the talent they saw to step up from non-conference, what ECU has played the non-conference, and it's going to be that way for the next few months, so... Hopefully they learn from it. Hopefully they make more free throws. And, you know, if the defense continues to perform like it has, three straight really strong defensive performances, the Pirates can do that and get a little more offense. They can steal some of these games in the AAC under first-year coach Mike Schwartz. But as we've said all along, you're just going to have growing pains. You're going to have frustrating nights. You're going to have great moments. Um, You're going to have an up-and-down season with a young team, first-time coach. So that's just part of it. All right, let's talk about this bowl game. ECU wins it 53-29 in Birmingham. And before we kind of dive into some of the main storylines from the game, just want to say, man, for the Pirate fans who did make the trip, um, great turnout from Pirate Nation. You know, we went to some different locations, especially Monday night uh, right by the stadium. There was a Pirate Club get-together at the Southern Kitchen and Bar. Huge ECU turnout. Our Hoisted Colors clan kind of piggybacked off that. By the way, great setup with some free appetizers at that location. But just a lot of Pirate fans I ran into. Appreciate everybody uh, for, for taking the time to to come over and say, hey, I uh, really appreciate you guys' support. And it was nice to connect with all you guys. But awesome turnout from the Pirate fans. Uh, the city of Birmingham itself, so much better than our previous trips down to Legion Field. Protective Stadium is is a really nice facility, of course, only built a few years ago. But, you know, I enjoyed my time in Birmingham. Most of the Pirate fans I talked with as well, uh, they did too. I thought it was a, a major upgrade from past Birmingham Bowls. You can tell they've put a lot of attention to detail and uh, effort into kind of building up that area around the UAB Stadium. So if you're within driving distance of Birmingham in coming years, when East Carolina takes on UAB, which will be a new member of the American Athletic Conference starting next season, I I recommend definitely checking it out. I enjoyed it uh, a lot more than I thought I would. Ate a lot of good food. It was a great experience, a lot better than, you know, really I gave it credit for going in. So I'm not saying I want to see ECU in the Birmingham Bowl every year, but uh, I enjoyed it. And, you know, every time ECU plays UAB, at least we'll kind of have an idea those of us that made the trip will have an idea of how to take advantage of said trip. But ECU fans dominated uh, the pep rally. They dominated 
the game atmosphere, certainly. I don't know how it came across on TV. I know the TV side had the coastal fans and the coastal sideline on it, so there was nobody on that side. I mean, coastal maybe had two, 300 fans. Uh, there was nobody from coastal. They didn't even bring the band. ECU footed the bill to bust the band down. That added to the atmosphere. You had multiple purple gold chants break out pregame, in-game, post-game. You know, there were probably, you know, rough estimate, three to 4,000 East Carolina fans, I would say, there uh, spread out throughout the ECU side, which was the non-TV side. But kudos to the Pirate fans. Uh, that ran into a lot of them pregame and after the game as well, uh, waiting around to congratulate the players and the coaches firsthand. They also stuck around for the on-field trophy ceremony which was awesome, by the way. You know, you can say it's just a, a random bowl game win in December against Coastal Carolina, whatever. But if you were there in that mass of people in hysteria, you could tell how much these guys have worked for this moment. Uh, so much joy on their faces, relief in some instances, especially with a lot of these seniors who made this their goal to send this program out uh, with a bowl championship and to do that and to do it in the fashion they did, really leaving no doubt with a rather dominating victory over Coastal Carolina. Uh, you know, you, you just couldn't be happier for those guys. And, and you know, you can see the if something's fake or not as far as a, a celebration or um, if somebody's trying to act like they're happy, you can tell that pretty quickly. But if somebody's seriously emotional – over something happening in a positive manner. You can also tell that right off the bat, and you could tell that with these seniors, how much it meant to them. Even the guys that, you know, their scout team guys, backups, everybody on the field was celebrating as one, and that was the coolest part about it. You saw coaches hugging players, even those that don't play a lot. You saw the scout team guys uh, really soaking in the moment and just a great experience at Protective Stadium, and you could tell how much it meant to the team and and, and how much I'm into the fan base. I mean, the, the reaction on social media, all the text messages I know I got. I know talking to Holton Ayler some and then Coach Houston, their phones are blowing up. They're still probably trying to return all the messages they've got. But, you know, ECU football is fun again. And every time the Pirates are in a game like this where it's a national spotlight game, they play well. I have so many, you know, old friends who I used to go to games with or grew up talking to Pirates. Um, about pirate sports, and, and those people are now re-engaged with the program. And it wasn't that way three, four, five years ago. You know, they would check in every now and then, but now you've got people reinvesting into the program because this senior class, Holton Aylers, Miles Berry, Gerard Stringer, uh, Noah Henderson, Jower Wilson, all those guys put this program back on the map. They did what they said they wanted to do, and it culminated with a 53-29 victory in the Birmingham Bowl. So couldn't be happier for the way those guys were able to go out. As far as the actual game, there are so many standouts. It's hard really to talk about all of them. I'll do my best to kind of highlight some of the key players, key moments in the game. You know, I want to start off by saying I think it would have been a a much more tight game if Grayson McCall did not exit with his injury in the second quarter. We don't really know what happened there but um, they said post game it was not concussion related but Chad Stagg is the interim coastal coach didn't really know he just said upper body injury so maybe a neck deal or some type of scare there with him being in the portal just didn't make sense for him to come back 
after uh, you know getting tweaked a little bit there. But either way, look, Coastal was going to be tough to stop with McCall at the helm. Once he went out of the game, I mean, the Coastal beat writer was sitting next to us. He basically said, well, this game's over. Their backup isn't very good. He's clearly not to the level of McCall. We saw that play out. ECU's defense started playing much more aggressive with much more confidence once McCall left the game. I'll say this, though. I don't think – I think ECU would have won the game either way. Uh, the Pirates could have scored 60, 65, maybe 70 points if they had executed all night long. Coastal was not going to stop them. Uh, the, the times that ECU did get stopped, it was by errors of their own uh, regard or by mis, uh, non-execution on the offensive end. I mean, guys were open. They were either just missed throws or, um, you know, maybe a, a missed block here or there that, that led to a rush throw or something or a penalty. Don't get me started on the penalties or this officiating crew, even though I am going to talk about them because they suck. Uh, but I thought ECU was the better team. Even when they were losing 14-10, when Grace McCall scored, I mean, they were outgaining Coastal by 150 yards. The penalties were just racking up. They were extending Coastal drives. The defense actually got a few stops, but the penalties were extending the drives. And then the Pirates just kept scoring. The, the swing right before half with McCall going out with ECU scoring, uh, Holton hitting the big, big back shoulder throw to Isaiah Winstead. The Pirates then getting a stop, getting the ball back, and then scoring again. That was that was basically the game because Coastal at that point without McCall was not going to come back and, and string that many scores together, especially with ECU continuing the score on its end. And so I, I just thought ECU was the better team. And it's good from an East Carolina fan perspective. You know, we've seen so much, you know, national notoriety for Coastal Carolina and App State and some of these programs the last few years, especially Coastal. And and look, they deserve it. They've had a, a great run under Jamie Chadwell. They've won a ton of games with McCall at quarterback. They have had a lot of success. They've had a lot of wins. But they haven't played anybody for the most part. And so for ECU the more traditional program, the more established program historically, to go out there. If they would have lost this bowl game, that would have been tough to accept for a lot of Pirate fans. But for ECU to, to go out there and really shut Coastal Carolina up. And and, they're, and the two teams kind of played like it, too. You could feel the chippiness of the game. ECU historically always has a chip on its shoulder. And it felt like Coastal was trying to have an even bigger chip on the shoulder. That's what led to a lot of the pushing, shoving penalties, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct stuff, just a lot of jawing back and forth in this game. And East Carolina proved it was a superior team on Tuesday. And I think that made a lot of East Carolina fans feel real good. Kind of one of those games where it's like, hey, don't forget about us. You know, we've been here a while, too. You know, we've had some great seasons, too. Uh, You know, and they went out on the field, and and the Pirates proved, well, they're Pirates. Got a big win. 53-29, 53-29, didn't really leave any doubt, even though, hey, you give up the block punt in the second half uh, late in the game. But uh, ECU did end up scoring again after that to really put it away. And then the two-point conversion. I still haven't really gotten much clarity on why exactly that was the call with just two-plus minutes to go in the game. I don't know if it was really necessary. Maybe it's an analytical thing, but ECU up 51-29 ends up going for two with just 214 left in the game and gets it with the shovel pass to Keaton Mitchell. Maybe they just wanted to break the shovel pass out one more time, let Keaton get in there one more time, let Holton throw 
another pseudo touchdown, even though it's just a two-point conversion one last time. But uh, big way to go out for Holton Aylers. Just a, a phenomenal performance. 26 of 38, 300 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. Didn't turn the ball over the last seven games of the season. ECU as a team did not turn the ball over the last seven games of the season. That is one of the more astonishing statistics I've ever seen covering sports. I mean, seven straight games without a giveaway. You think of all the times we've seen sports over the years. You'll just see a random game where there will be a turnover to uh, potentially even on back-to-back drives from an offense. And for ECU to go seven games, 28 quarters of football in a row without a turnover, which is, of course, a program record, uh, pretty amazing. And, you know, that does also kind of add to the fact of, you know, we'll get into it more in our season-ending podcast where we kind of look back at everything. But, you know, you have a plus-13 margin turnover for the season. You know, you're not going to have better luck in that regard going forward most likely. So this kind of adds to why it's so frustrating that you negated that to an extent with some special teams blunders, some close losses. You did have some back-breaking turnovers early in the year, but – uh, mostly the special teams and mostly turnover on downs. Even though those, those don't count as turnovers, you still had some turnover on downs as a result probably of not having full confidence in your field goal kicker, a lot of those coming in opponent territory. So just uh, just one of those crazy stats certainly led to a lot of wins, but also led to some frustrating losses that you probably felt you should have won. And so just a really, really remarkable stat there. But Holton goes down, of course, as the Birmingham Bowl MVP. He uh, broke Quentin Flowers' touchdown record, both passing with five and total touchdowns responsible for with six. He also became the American Athletic Conference all-time leader in all-purpose touchdowns, I believe passing Desmond Ritter. And just put a bow on a phenomenal career. And it, it felt, in, I'll say this, if it would have felt incomplete to an extent if he didn't win the bowl game. But given the way that he, he finished and given the way he played in the bowl game, finished the season with his best statistical year ever, uh, just quite frankly cemented his legacy as an all-time East Carolina great and certainly among the Greatest ECU quarterbacks in program history, and we can have a podcast debate for another day down the line. I don't want to be a victim of recency bias and say, oh, Holton Aylers is the greatest quarterback to ever play at ECU, and you know, I don't want to do that. I don't think talent-wise, he's he's certainly not at the level of Jeff Blake or David Garrard, but I, I, I think one of the callers on the fifth quarter said it best. He may not be the best quarterback to ever play DCU, but I do think he is the most important. I thought that was maybe the line of the night on the show on Pirate Radio because at a time where the program was lost, was looking for leadership, looking for somebody to turn it around, certainly Mike Houston and all these guys, the whole class played a crucial role in it, not just Holton Aylers, but you got to have the quarterback, man. If you don't have the quarterback, if you don't have that rock, if you don't have that leader to establish the program's uh, leadership ways and, and determination and grit and just everything that comes with that position. You know, everybody in the locker room looks towards Holton. He's got the ball in his hands on every single play. He's the most important position on the field. If you don't have the quarterback as the heart and soul of your team, 
you got nothing. And Holton, at a time where ECU needed him most, he was there. And he didn't leave when he was constantly criticized. He didn't leave even when he faced the most pressure of any quarterback in ECU history. Undoubtedly, in my opinion, as the hometown guy taking over a broken program, he was kind of anointed as the savior before he ever took a snap at ECU. Unfairly so, to no fault of his own. It came with the territory, though, as being the hometown kid, a highly rated recruit in that time. And I think it took Holton some time to really feel comfortable in that role. And maybe once the the Pirates, of course, started to turn the tide early last season, you could see him his demeanor start to turn. Uh, started to play with a lot more confidence. And the guy just played through so many injuries and, and just uh, discomfort. I don't think some people understand how much pain this guy was in at times. Or maybe he, I don't know, maybe he doesn't feel pain. Uh, but he, you know, he, he had a back injury he dealt with for the last three years, uh, a finger injury towards the latter half of this year that nobody talked about, a torn labrum and his non throwing shoulder that he suffered, I believe, in the first quarter, maybe the second quarter of the NC State game, played the entire year with it. You know, there were some games earlier in his career where he was, you know, hitting the head pretty hard. There were questions about whether he was going to play or not. He found a way to play, you know, going through the concussion protocol quietly and, and getting cleared. So the guy's just a warrior. Uh, he deserves all the recognition. I know some people get tired of, of the Holton Naylor storyline, the love. And I get it after five years, you know, I, you know I'm kind of tired at times of writing about it too. But uh, that put his legacy – I think where it belongs, and that's at the top of the, the ECU quarterbacks of all time. I'm not saying he, he is at the top, but he at least deserves to be in the conversation with David Garrard, Jeff Blake, Shane Carden, Marcus Crandall. Those are always the top guys, rightfully so, that are discussed. And I wrote about this on hoistacolors.net. You know, amongst the greats, and I now think you, you have to have Holton Aylers in there. Of course, he's got all the records. And, you know, some of that is due to longevity and getting the extra year. But certainly, he showed this year it's not just a longevity record. He had a monster season. He had one of the best seasons of any ECU quarterback ever. 28 touchdowns, 3,700 yards, six rushing touchdowns, five picks, eight wins. Uh, win over a really some really good teams, UCF, BYU, a win in the bowl game over a nine-win football team. No more talk about how you know Mike Houston and Holton Naylor's have no wins over teams with winning records. That can be put to bed. So based on what happened this year, so I, I just think you know this was this was the way to go out. No, he didn't win a conference championship. No, he didn't have ten wins, but uh, he set the program up for future success and future sustained success as long as the the people following him and the rest of the senior class end up. Uh, you know, filling his shoes the right way. So great way to go out for Holton. Keaton Mitchell, what can you say? 22 carries, 127, one touchdown. He, I guess you could almost say the numbers were a little disappointing because of how he started the game. His first two carries, I think he had 73 yards rushing, and it was clear Holton Aylers came out just slinging the ball over the yard, making RPO reads, and deciding to throw the ball off those uh, option plays. Coastal couldn't stop that. They fell into more of a coverage uh, calls consistently, and then that led to some gigantic rushing lanes for Keaton Mitchell. He is now third all-time on the rushing chart in ECU history. He's around, I believe, 60 yards behind Leonard Henry for second. 
and assuming he comes back next year, which everything I'm hearing, he has basically told the team he's returning next year, and we all know things can change, but I've heard Keaton likely, if he returns, going to have a pretty good NIL deal set up in January from some donors, so I would expect at this time Keaton to return and lead the offense next year with, of course, Mason Garcia expected to be the quarterback going forward. Another big day for the wide receivers as well. Six, uh, excuse me, five touchdown passes from Holton Aylers meant four receivers caught touchdown. C.J. Johnson, seven catches for 83 yards and a score. He caught a 15-yard touchdown pass. He goes over 1,000 yards for the season. Isaiah Winstead closes his college career with his first multi-touchdown game as a Pirate. Six catches, 72 yards for two scores. And the Pirates, by virtue of C.J. Johnson going over the 1,000-yard mark, first time ever they've had a 3,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, and two 1,000-yard receivers. As C.J. and Isaiah both break the 1,000-yard barrier, Keaton 1,000 rushing and Holton well over 3,000 passing. First time they've done that in program history, having all four in the same season. By the way, it's kind of pretty significant achievement there, and you can say maybe that again adds to the disappointment of only having an 8-5 and five record when you're making history like that on offense. But for all the talk about Donnie Kirkpatrick and how he needs to uh, be better, be better as a play caller, all that sort of stuff, I don't think any, I don't think any Pirate fan uh, gets after, or I don't think any coach has gotten after more by Pirate fans than Donnie Kirkpatrick, and it comes with the territory of being an O.C., in college football in 2022, but ECU's offense statistically was really good this year, and certainly there are some things, you know, we all like to see done better, more consistently, but at the end of the day, the offense was more than good enough for most of this year, and scoring 53 points in the bowl game, that's second most in ECU history in postseason play. Uh, they've, they've really had balanced attack they could throw it they could run it all year and you are going to lose some significant pieces we'll see how the offense continues to develop going forward I am expecting uh, at least one change on the offensive staff we'll get into that more in the coming days when an official announcement is made but um, you know we've kind of talked about it a little bit on in VIP on Hoist the Colors if you're a member of this site so we'll see if there are any other coaching changes made in the coming days it's a pretty quick turnaround from now until spring ball. I mean, really, you've got another recruiting weekend coming up early in January. You've got more recruiting uh, leading into the signing day in February. You got this transfer portal window. Then you got spring ball. So it's, you know, if there are going to be changes to the staff, I would expect them to happen sooner rather than later. And I do know there will be at least one change um, with that staff. So we'll keep an eye on that. As far as an official announcement, Going back to the individual play, Jalen Johnson, the Georgia transfer, he goes 5 for 66 with a touchdown, made a great catch over the middle, took a huge hit, held on, also caught a deep pass, 35-yard completion. Good to see Shane Calhoun, the tight end, make a couple catches late. Uh, Had the one-yard touchdown for Ehlers' fifth passing score of the game. Had two catches for 37 yards total as Ehlers distributed the ball around. Good to see also Brock Spalding make his first career catch. Camaro Edmonds had a catch for four yards. We saw uh, Tyler Savage, Taji Hudson make catches. So just about everybody got involved 
offensively for the Pirates, so that was great to see. And then defensively, man, what a way for Gerard Stringer to wrap up his college career. Seven total tackles, six solo, had the trifecta play with Coastal starting to have some momentum. It was a 24-14 to game. They were in ECU territory. He comes on a blitz on the rollout and just ate up Jared Guest, the Coastal backup quarterback. Guest dropped the ball. Stringer had the wherewithal to not only strip the ball, but then to jump on it, recover it in between two Coastal players. It was an awesome play, and Stringer had just a phenomenal season to wrap up his Pirate career. He is really going to be missed, but uh, amazing, honestly, when you think about he missed the, the 2020 season with the Achilles injury. Wasn't really sure how much he was going to play after that. Instead, he comes back after being away from the team for most of the year. And, you know, it was really good in 2021. And then at times this year, just dominant. Uh, in his career with two forced fumbles, if it wasn't for the huge offensive day, Stringer could have been in the, in the contention for MVP award from the Birmingham Bowl as well. Uh, also, big day for Jeremy Lewis. He had two tackles for loss and a sack. Chad Stevens had a great game, six tackles, including two tackles for loss. Taylor Jackson had a sack. Chandre Mims in his final game in college has a sack. Miles Berry finished with five tackles. Uh, we saw Siobhan Revel uh, get to play quite a bit for his first really defensive action of his career. And I thought he looked really good. He did get beat on one pass down the field, but long athletic corner, made a great play and a run support, tremendous tackle, physical tackle. He's just scratching the surface of what he can be. So looking forward to Siobhan Revel's growth going forward. Uh, weird story from the game, you know, not to dwell too much on the negative, but so Jawan Powell played special teams in the first half and he was on the field pregame. Basically, and told he essentially quit the team at halftime, according to sources. And I don't know if he left the stadium or what. Wasn't happy with his playing time. Of course, Demel Hickman and Siobhan were getting most of the reps at corner across from Malik Fleming. And, you know, did not. Powell left the team and did not return to the game. And I don't know if he left the stadium, but he wasn't part of the celebration. Did not return in the second half. And so uh, just, you know, not in the portal yet as we record this on Thursday morning, but unless something changes, unless there's a come to Jesus meeting there, you know, I, I don't think you'll see him back unless something just went awry there. So still gathering information on that, but certainly that is a storyline we will continue to monitor going forward. But otherwise just a really good performance by ECU. They end up outgaining coastal Carolina overall 486 to 337. Uh, the the Chanticleers, Chanticleers, I still don't know what it is. Sorry, Coastal fans. Um, I'll just say Coastal turned the ball over three times. ECU did not turn the ball over a single time. Probably should have been a pick on a Holton Aylers throw, but the DB dropped it. So it all looks clean in the box score. As we said earlier, Keaton Mitchell, 127 yards. That gave him seven straight contests to close the year. Over 100 yards rushing. Another great feat. 15 times in his career. He's gone over 100 yards. He now has 3,027 rushing yards for his career in three seasons. With the Pirates, Brock Spalding, Taji Hudson both had their first career receptions. Hampton Ergo and Taylor Jackson had their first career starts. As uh, It was great to see, by the way, Hampton Ergo, got to mention him, Avery Jones transferring to Illinois, 
you know, the, the Ergo, a, a walk-on offensive lineman who I think, you know, may be going on a scholarship here soon. Great performance at center. He is a massive center, and he was going up against a massive nose tackle and held his own the entire game. So, uh, without Hampton Ergel snapping the ball consistently and holding up against that nose tackle, none of the numbers we just talked about are possible. So great performance by him. Great performance by Justin Red, senior tackle Noah Henderson in his final game as a Pirate, and also the two guards who have just been steady all year, Nashad Strother and Isaiah Foote. So big day for the offense, big day for the Pirates as they wrap up the season with a 53-29 victory. Over Coastal Carolina. All right, on the other side, we'll dive into some of the latest news. You know, they can't let us have too much fun. They got to start up the news cycle again with transfer portal talk and recruiting. So we can't sit here and, and dwell in the game forever. That's just college sports now. It's it's crazy, man. It is a 24-7 news cycle. It never stops. And so we'll get into some of the latest personnel. We'll talk about what is next year's secondary going to look like as the Pirates are getting new commitments but also losing some players Will we see any more players hit the portal in the coming weeks? Will we see any more additions from the portal? We'll talk about that on the other side. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back into the Hoisted Colors podcast. We are rolling right along on this Thursday. Again, we'll have another podcast sometime this weekend as we look back at the 2022 season. I'll give my final thoughts on the season, what I like, what I didn't like, what I want to see change. We'll maybe have a guest on that podcast. We'll see. But either way, we'll have all your responses, all all the best of the 60-plus. I almost had all the 60-plus responses. If I, if I read them all, we may not ever finish the show. But either way, some significant news breaking today as we are now two days after the bowl game. And I was alerted to this possibility heading into the bowl. Jaira Wilson, the longtime ECU safety, has entered the portal for his, his final year of eligibility. You know, I'm told he basically informed the staff going into the bowl that he was going to play or try to play um, potentially at another conference or another higher quote-unquote conference for his final year of eligibility. Um and the goal to continue to pursue his professional dreams, similar to Avery Jones and others, perhaps from other schools. But I do give Jaira credit for a number of things. One, he played in the bowl game. Uh, he did, you know, he played hard. I mean, he was all he, he was laying all on the line. He ended. He actually had an injury scare late in the game, and as he went down, I kind of thought about some of the rumors I was hearing. You'd hate to see him get injured 
in that spot with him at least potentially looking to move on. It turns out he's he was fine, just something minor. Uh, he did have a, a fumble recovery in the game. He also had a couple of tackles. And Jared Wilson spent five years at ECU. Without the COVID year, he wouldn't have an extra year of eligibility. We're talking about a guy who redshirted in 2018, developed, was recruited originally by Scotty Montgomery's staff, stuck through the coaching change, stuck through some position changes, uh, then just grew into a significant contributor, became a really good football player, made a ton of awesome plays for East Carolina, got his degree from ECU, you know, played a pretty significant role in the defense for four years, was a starter for three. You know, he did everything that was asked of him when he signed his national letter of intent. He, he finished his degree obligations, turned around the program. You know, it's hard for me to sit here and be mad at a Jaira Wilson for wanting to try something different after five years. You know, will it work out? Will it not? I mean, who knows? But he basically has a free year of eligibility due to the COVID year, and I'll never blame somebody who has given, you know, five years of blood, sweat, and tears uh, into a program and played such such a significant role in it for transferring. And certainly would love to have him back at ECU and would love to see him finish out his college college career if he's not going to turn pro at ECU in the purple and gold. You know, it's what Holton Aylers did. It's what others have done. But not everybody is Holton Aylers. Not everybody is, you know, Noah Henderson, who just announced he's declaring for the NFL draft. You know, he's not going to play his final year elsewhere. He's just going to try. After graduating from ECU, he's going to give the pros a shot. And if it doesn't work out, you know, he's going to probably uh, not play football any longer. But either way, you know, everybody's situation is different. You know, we don't know what's talked about behind the scenes. We don't know if maybe somebody's already offered him NIL money from another school, like we heard about with Avery Jones. So you just never know what's going on. College sports these days, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, if you can get five years out of a student athlete and you can get three years as a starter, you know, you you feel pretty fortunate. So I I don't think all transfers are created equal. And I think in Jairus' case, you thank him for what he did. And, uh, you know, you cheer him on as he goes to his next place. You know, this isn't a move out of, of hatred or anything like that. So I wish Jaira all the best. He was always a class act dating back to when he committed to East Carolina as a recruit. I remember having that conversation with him. I was in the pirate radio parking lot and he had just committed. And I remember doing that up to now. So it's, it's, it's always good to see these guys developed over time and become the players they can be. We also saw Demel Hickman who came in in the same recruiting class as Jairo, did the same thing as Jairo, went through the coaching change, you know, wasn't as significant a player in terms of starting, but was a crucial special teams guy, got his degree from ECU, played a lot in the bowl game, had seven tackles, which is, I believe, is a career high in the bowl game, but he's just looking for more playing time, and giving the, you know, we talked about Siobhan uh, Revel earlier, given his development, given the addition of Tamir Brown from UNC, some of the other guys, Isaiah Brown-Murray, a young corner who's got a chance to be a really good player. You can't fault Demel Hickman, who's been here five years, as a part-time player for wanting to maybe go somewhere where he can play a little bit more. A guy who came in when the program was down, found a way to stick it out through some hard times, and has, has 
allowed the Pirates to turn around their program with his help. So I uh, wish Demel Hickman the best going forward too. You know, there are some other guys in that similar mold who just want to play more. You'll probably see them hit the portal. We talked about Jawan Powell earlier. Don't know how that situation is going to play out, but I still find it hard to believe he'll be back at ECU. You're seeing a lot of turnover in the secondary, and it's going to be a lot of fresh blood on the back end in 2023. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. When you have guys who have been in the program so long, let's say Jair Wilson returns. Let's say he is a six-year player. He's a fourth-year starter. If you're behind Jair Wilson on the depth chart, you know there's no way you're going to see the field more than a few snaps unless he goes down due to injury. So you can talk about practicing your hardest, preparing your hardest, all that sort of stuff. But in reality, you're not going to pass him as a, you know, on the practice field, you're not going to pass him. That's just the reality. Well, now that Jair was gone, now that Gerard Stringer is gone, Demel Hickman is gone, Sean Dorso has transferred out. All of a sudden, there are a ton of openings on the back end. And if you're one of those guys who has been second string, maybe third string in the past, maybe you've been primarily a special teams player, competition makes everybody better, and everybody in those spots is going to believe that they have a chance to start now because it's wide open, and you brought in a ton of talent, you brought in a ton of options, competition. Tamir Brown from North Carolina has already committed, as we talked about. The Pirates added another commitment this morning. Dontavious Nash, a former four-star recruit, safety from North Carolina. So you had two UNC DB transfers. You signed three freshmen in Javian Clark, Gregory Turner, and Kamari McKinley. You also bring back a number of guys who have played special teams, kind of been those fringe guys, Kingston McKinstry, Brandon Higgs, Devin King, who just got promoted the scholarship. Jonathan Coleman has played some special teams, has been in the program a while. Jordan Huff missed last year with a torn ACL, but was expected to play uh, a pretty big role this year. So we'll see him coming back. Ty Moss, former walk-on, who's got a chance to be a scholarship guy in time. He played in the bowl game. He's played some special teams. Josh Benton is a uh, former high school quarterback at Jacksonville who's got some upside as a walk-on. And those are just the safeties, ton of names there, ton of guys who are going to be competing. And then at corner, we talked about Siobhan Revel. Jamani Wilson, former Marshall transfer, has been in the program a few years now, been a good special teams guy. Could he become somebody who competes for playing time at corner? Fletcher Marshall, going into his second year as a Juco transfer. Could we see him step up? Malik Fleming, again, as of now, we expect him to return for his senior year. Anything can happen. I don't see him as a candidate to get drafted right now. Um, So I think most likely he'll be back. Haven't heard anything other than that right now. Isaiah Brown-Murray will be back as a freshman uh, as well, a redshirt freshman. So you look at the depth chart or the projected depth chart. We just posted a VIP deal on this in the secondary, and it's it's wide open. Uh, You know, outside of Malik Fleming and Julius Wood and Tegan Wilk, all of whom we project to be back as players with starting experience, every position's wide open, and even those guys have to earn their spots. So, uh, you know, I think Julius Wood has a chance to continue to grow into an all-conference safety. We've seen Tegan Wilk, when healthy, play at a really high level. You know, we've seen Malik be the most consistent DB 
for ECU the last few years, especially outside of Jaquan McMillan, who hasn't been with the team now for a couple of years. So Malik has kind of turned into that steady presence at corner. So you still have some pieces, but when you start factoring in the fact you've got Sam linebacker, which is essentially a third safety spot, in addition to the two safety roles and the two corner roles, you got to fill out five positions with all these players. You're losing Stringer, you're losing Wilson, you're losing Dorso, you're losing a pre-Washington, you're also losing the Mel Hickman, you know, Juwan Powell, we kind of doubt will be back. So you're losing a ton of experience, but you got a ton of talent, a ton of upside, and it's going to be one of the more competitive places on the, the entire team this spring in the secondary. So looking forward to that competition. Still think there's a chance they may add another name or two on the back end, especially at corner. You know, I like the the top half of the cornerback depth chart, but uh, right now a little weary on the 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 depth overall. I think there's a, some very high upside, but maybe want to add another body or two there, which they still are monitoring a few guys uh, from either the portal or from the JUCO ranks. You know, Devon Martin, former Utah State commit, visited in December. He's expected to design in February, so he could be a name to watch as well. So we'll continue to follow that. We'll continue to follow the portal. And, you know, as far as other entries going forward, you know, the portal is going to be open until, I believe, the January 19th, 18th, somewhere in there. And these players are about to leave campus for good. If they haven't already, they're not going to return. They're going to go home. They're going to talk to their family over winter break. This is when you start to maybe worry about some of the guys who had decisions to make, getting wrong advice when they're away from campus, away from their coaches. The wrong people can get in their ear. We saw it last year you know, with Tyler Sneed, Jaquan McMillan. At that point, they were expected to come back. Then they went away from campus. Next thing you know, they're gone to the NFL draft. McMillan, I believe, on the Broncos' uh, practice squad. I don't think Tyler Sneed is with the team right now. So, you know, these things, you never have a way of predicting them. We're still kind of awaiting what C.J. Johnson's going to do. He's got a year of eligibility left. He's got the COVID year. There were some other guys like Malik Fleming, like Jeremy Lewis, kind of in that ballpark too, you know, where maybe they have a decision to make. And this is a crucial time. The good news is the semester starts January 9th. So we should have a pretty good idea here in the coming week or two on what these guys are going to do, what they're going to decide. But some big decisions that will certainly shape the roster next year. And either way, I do think you've got a a group of players, many of whom we just talked about, that have been with the program now a couple of years or either are transferring in that have talent. And sometimes you just need an opportunity to let that talent shine. So even if some of these experienced guys like Jaira uh, and and like Apri Washington, like Gerard Stringer, like Jamel Hickman move on, you know, I still think there's talent there. I still think there's potential. And sometimes you just need that opening, that competition to bring the best out. So uh, the coaching staff has stacked this roster in many ways with depth and talent. Still a lot there, even though some of them haven't played as much as others. And so I'm still bright on the future of this program, especially given the culture and the foundation that Mike Houston and his staff have set. All right, that'll do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast. Pirates, again, wrap up the 2022 season with a big bowl victory over Coastal Carolina. They finish 8-5. and five. It has been a pleasure. 
and we'll have one more podcast to wrap up the 2022 calendar year sometime this weekend, either on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Until then, we appreciate you guys for listening to the HTC Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And the must-see comedy of the summer <laughs> that's perfect for the whole family. This is just so exciting. If. Witty PG, now playing in theaters.